If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Mark. And our, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 42. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath... Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate to ask him for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask your blessing on your word, God, as we come before you and as we Open it, Lord Jesus, to receive what you have for us. Lord, we ask, God, that uh, you would make our hearts a fertile ground and that the seed of your word would take root and bring forth fruit. That we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we take a look at the Gospel of Mark and as we're coming nigh unto wrapping up the Gospel of Mark, We begin with Jesus coming down from the cross and being buried. And we end with Jesus coming out of the grave and the news, the beginning of the news being spread to the women. And one of the things we're going to see as we look at this is, especially in the Gospel of Mark, there are are three things that the Gospel of Mark is really putting out to us in this section of Scripture. Three things that that Mark wants us to be able to to glean. Three challenges, I guess, that I see. The first is a a word of challenge for our mind. 
a word of challenge for our mind. Then we're going to see the word of grace for our heart. And we're going to see a word for mission. And as we first come to this, this idea of a word of challenge for our mind, Mark is the best gospel to really lay out for us a historicity of the story that we read about the resurrection, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the best one. Because if you were writing one, if you were making it up, you would not have wrote it like this. Would you? Oh, no. First off, we look in the beginning. Let's just look at the beginning, how this one begins. It says... In Mark fifteen forty two, now when the evening had come, because it was a preparation day, Friday, right, Prep, day before Sabbath, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, prominent council member, that means he's on the Sanhedrin. You guys remember what the Sanhedrin just done, right? Who was responsible for bringing the charges of Jesus before Pilate? Who was responsible for standing in the courtyard outside and and shouting, "Crucify him"? Uh, when, they, when they were offered a prisoner exchange. So you have the Sanhedrin who are the bad guys in the story. You probably, if you're writing a, a legend, you've painted yourself the group of bad guys. You're not going to take one of them and make them the guy who goes and asks for the body of Jesus. And one of the indications, not the only one for sure, but one of the indications that Mark's authentic that's what happened. Because you wouldn't have made it up that way. You'd have said the disciples went and did it. You might have said the women went and got them. But you would not have said somebody from the Sanhedrin came and got the body of Jesus. The Bible tells us several things about Joseph of Arimathea, right? We know he's wealthy. We know he's a prominent member of the council. We know that he was looking for the kingdom of God. Now, when we look at that phrase, I just want you to grasp it. When it says he's looking for the kingdom of God, who is he looking for? He's looking for Messiah. That's the kingdom of God, folks. The, the nation of Israel, they remember way back in the beginning, go back into history, and they, they're coming to God and they're saying, we want a king like everybody else. You remember? We want a king like... Like everybody else. And, and the Lord said, you get a king, you're going to get taxes, you're going to go to war, he's going to take your land, he's going to do all these things. You sure that's what you want? Yeah, we want to be just like everybody else. We want to be just like everybody else. And from that moment, really from the time of Saul, certainly from David forward, the people looked with expectation for a coming king. A coming one that would deliver the nation, that would set him free, that would finally be that, that good king. Well, the, the Bible told them all the way back in Genesis who it would be. Genesis chapter 3, in fact. Right after the fall of Adam and Eve. The proto-evangelicum, God said that there would be someone born of woman, not of man, who would crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. That somebody was coming to deliver us from that enemy we can't defeat. That enemy we can't defeat really is our human nature. That's a nice way of putting it. Or our sin nature. What's the problem with the world today? I don't really care what people group you want to point your finger at. I can sum it up in one simple phrase. We are born in sin. How many times do you see a nation in history come to power? Have a revolution. 
Put out the bad guys. Come in with the new guys. Only to have the new guys become the bad guys. And several years later, maybe centuries, another revolution to put those guys out. When once upon a time, they had all these great ideas about how things were going to be better. And it just repeats itself. Over and over again. How many different names has a country Yugoslavia had? Do you even know what it's called today? When we look at the, the situation within the world, the issue is not within man to solve the problem. The issue is a, a spiritual issue that was solved by Messiah. When Jesus Christ came and died to set us free from a life of bondage to sin, so that in Him I can be a new creation. So that in Him I don't have to fall prey to the old ways of the old man. Isn't that what Paul tells us over and over again? Don't live like the old man, live like the new. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus your Lord. What's the purpose? That we walk like Jesus. That, we're be, that we would be like Him. And have people done horrible things in the name of Jesus? Sure. But were they acting consistent with the worldview that surrendered to the Bible? No. They were inconsistent, which means what? They're faking. They're not for real. If you're for real, then the book on our laps begins to change our lives. And what it says is wrong is wrong. And what it says is right is right. And we start to see transformation in our life. And that is called revival. It just happens in one person at a time. And when that happens to enough people, neighborhoods change. Families change. Towns change. Countries change. That's the change. I've, I've had the opportunity to watch just about every debate, both sides, that has gone on. And I am here to declare to you that, one, I will vote. Two, I will pray like the Dickens because we're going to need it. Uh, three, I will engage with our culture and our country because Christians need to engage and stop disengaging and hiding. And I already have a Messiah. I don't need another one. And to me, I don't, it doesn't matter to me which way you bend. There's one Messiah. And it doesn't matter who's in control. What matters is when our nation surrenders and submits to God Almighty, things will change. And if our nation doesn't do that, things won't change. And if we, you and I as believers, if we look at our nation and say, well, it doesn't matter, it's not going to help, everything's going to go down anyway, then we're just going to lose time. And we're being disobedient to the call of God. Because God said, do business till I come. He didn't say, disengage, hide in a mountain, don't engage the culture, don't challenge them with your faith, don't spread the word of the gospel. He didn't say those things. He said, you stay like salt, you stay like light, until I come. That's what he calls us to do. And we want to be engaged in that. We want to recognize, we want to see exactly what it is that God has for us as we look at that. 
And what we see in the Gospel of Mark tells us that just like today, then, they had issues. They had struggles in worldview and concepts. They had reasons why they had a hard time believing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ took place. Part of their struggle was in the idea of why in the world would Joseph of Arimathea want to get Jesus' body from the cross? Where were the disciples? Where were those who said they loved him? But the scripture tells us he was a special disciple. Now, I just want you to look in the last chapter and a half. Think of the witnesses to who Jesus is. Okay, the last witness to who Jesus is before Joseph of Arimathea is a pagan. Roman centurion. That when he saw how he died, he said, truly, this was the son of God. So there's pagan, not disciple. What happened? on the, I don't know. One, one day, I hope to stand next to the centurion and ask him. But whatever the event was, we speculate today, but whatever it was, whatever he saw in Jesus, maybe it was, Father, forgive them. Maybe it was the attitude. Maybe it was just that he saw something utterly different than he'd seen a million guys die. But he'd never seen anybody die like that. So he professes faith. Then, out of the woodworks, comes Joseph of Arimathea, who is, at this moment, I just want you guys to realize what he's sacrificing. Because when he was a secret disciple, nobody cared. Right? Secret disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, I'm still doing business with him. I'm still, we're still, we're buddies. We can hang out. What do you think happened when he went and took the body of Christ down and put it in his own personal tomb? He's not secret anymore. What do you think the guys who hated Jesus did with Joseph of Arimathea? How do you think they looked at him? How do you think that affected his business? How do you think it affected his life? The other thing I want you to look at is, look, the job he does, Joseph of Arimathea, the job he does, was only the job for a slave or a woman. No prominent rich man would ever take a dead body down, wash it, wrap it, and bury it. Ever. But Joseph of Arimathea did. Joseph of Arimathea was so changed from being a secret disciple to being willing to go to Pilate and say, come out of the shadows and say, no, I'm not secret no more. I'm with, I'm with him and I want to take him off a cross. Sabbath is tomorrow and I want him in the ground. You know what they used, usually did with bodies on crucifixion, right? They didn't bury him. When they died, what did they do with them? They go throw them in some kind of wheelbarrow or cart, walk it over to Gehenna, this, this crevice on the side of Jerusalem where rocks and garbage was, and they throw the bodies in. That's where Jesus was going to go until Joseph of Arimathea said, oh, I'm not secret no more. I'm picking a side. And I'm picking the side of the dead guy. That's like watching a, the Super Bowl and picking the team that loses for your favorite team. Right? Because yeah, as, far as, as far as Joseph of Arimathea knows, it's over, right? As far as he knows, it's over. So he does, I just, I just want you to see it. He goes to the cross. Now we know he's not alone. Who else is with him? The, the Marys are watching, 
But uh, there's probably Nick at night there. You guys remember Nick at night? <laughs> Nicodemus who come to Jesus at night? So I'm guessing they were buddies, you know, right? Both on, on the Sanhedrin. But in, nonetheless, they, they take the body down. Now, if you touch a dead body in the Jewish culture, what happens? You're unclean. It's Passover time. He's making himself unclean. And he's going to be unclean for 24 hours. So he's going to be unclean through the Sabbath. But it mattered more to him to take the dead body of Jesus down. So they take the dead body down. I just, I just want you to think about what it looks like. Most of you guys have seen the Passion, right? So, so something like that. They take the body down. Now, where, where Golgotha is, where the rock quarry is, and where there's a possibility when we go to Israel, we're going to go to the garden tomb, and we're going to go to the tomb of the open sepulcher. Both profess to be the site where Jesus was buried. One is a natural site, so you can still see the tomb. The other one's a big church, um, so it's, you, you can't visualize it. But when we go to the garden tomb, you can see Golgotha and... I don't even know how far. Not far. Maybe, maybe 100 yards, maybe less, to the tomb. That's pretty close, right? It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Sabbath starts in three hours. We've got to get the body down. We've got to wash the entire body. Then we're going to take the, the linen, the strips of linen, and we're going to soak that linen in, in, a, in herbs and aloes and... and um, uh, frankincense and myrrh and all that stuff. They're going to churn all that stuff and they're going to soak it in it and then they're going to wrap the body with that. And that becomes like a cocoon almost over the body. As it hardens, it becomes a cocoon over the body to, uh, to hide the smell of decomposition. Because remember, for a Jew, you didn't just bury the body and leave it. You guys know that, right? You put it in a family tomb, you let the body rot and corrode. After the body corrodes, you go back in the tomb and you... You take in your ossuary. You know what an ossuary is? It's called a bone box. Take a bone box so you could collect usually a femur. And you put a femur in the bone box so that there was something from them to resurrect. That was the idea. And then you would take the bone boxes and keep them in a family crypt. All the people. In fact, in fact, in fact, if we could get to the cave of Machpelah in Israel... You could stand outside, look at the ossuary that holds the bones of Joseph. Not somebody like him. Not some guy where they've picked up a box that said Joseph on it. What did Joseph say to do with his bones? Take them back when you go back. So where did they put them? A cave of Machpelah. Who else is in there? Abraham. Yeah. Isaac. Which of Isaac's wives? Rachel's buried in uh, Bethlehem. What was the other one's name? Leah, Leah that's right. See, see all the things you guys learn? <laughs> Leah's buried in the cave of Machpel with them. Not, not, I mean, legit, that's them. It's where they are. Not like, oh, you know, they, 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 not a, they don't put a sign up with arrows pointing down and saying, you know, somewhere under here is where, nope, it's right in there. It's right there. It's history. The resurrection challenges our mind because there's all these things that are real and true. And we've got to decide what we're going to do with it. Joseph of Arimathea sacrifices everything in his life to wash a dead man and put him in his own tomb. A tomb wherein no one had ever laid. 
It's okay, because he's not going to rot in there. Right? Psalm 1611 says, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Holy One is a term for Messiah. The Holy One will... Corruption, you remember when we read John chapter 4? We read the story about Lazarus. Remember Lazarus died? And Jesus goes, how long had Lazarus been in the ground? Four days. He'd been in the ground four days. And, the, and they, when Jesus said, roll away the stone, they said, Lord, he stinks. He stinks. Because according to Jewish thought, four days, the fourth day was the beginning of corruption. Three days, no corruption. Fourth day, corrupt. Fourth day, corrupt. So you say, where does the Bible say Jesus is going to be raised in three days? It says he won't see corruption. That means he's got to raise before the fourth day. Before the fourth day, he's got to come. It's got to happen. But he, he's wrapping them with linen, and he's covering 100 pounds of spices. It's not some little job. I bet it took every bit of the three hours he had. And the scripture tells us, not only does he do all of these things, not only does he do it all, but then it tells us he, he's going to put him in the tomb. He's going to put him in the tomb. They give him the, he, he bought fine linen, he took him down, wrapped him in linen, and he laid him in a tomb, which was hewn out of the rock, rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he had been laid. Some people like to say when we talk about the resurrection, well, the Marys probably went to the wrong tomb. They were watching. They are there the whole time. They're looking at him. It's not like, if you come to Israel with me, you'll, you'll understand how dumb that is. Because you're going to stand outside Golgotha, which is a bus stop today, and you'll stand by the bus stop, and we'll look up at the rocks, and we'll say, there's the school. And everybody will say, yeah, it, it looks like a school. You, you won't have a hard time. You won't need a lot of imagination. It's there. And then we're going to turn and walk however far, not very far, we're still inside the same compound, and we'll be at the tomb. And you know what? I didn't pass 42 tombs on the way there. I didn't walk from Golgotha and go, oh, look, there's a tomb, there's a tomb, there's a tomb, there's another tomb. It looks like Arlington Cemetery here. There's tombs everywhere. That's not what it's like. There's a tomb in a garden. One. They didn't know where they were going. you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I didn't have a hard time finding it. They didn't have a hard time finding it. They put the body, they watched where he put them, and they put the body in. Now here's the big deal. Here's the big challenge. Again, I told you Mark is great for the historicity of the story, which means it's not legend. It didn't grow to become some weird thing, because you'd have never picked Joseph of Arimathea, one, and two, you'd have never picked your main witnesses to at all to be women. Ever. In fact, there's a book written at the time around the resurrection by a Roman named Celsus. And Celsus' main argument for the refutation of the resurrection was that women were the witnesses. Oh, you can't count women. Women can't be witnessed. They're crazy. They said that back then. I know. No, we don't think that today, ladies. We don't think that today. But back then... Those guys, they felt that way. They felt that way. In fact, in a court of law, you had to have double the witnesses if your witnesses were women. You had to have double. So Celsus is saying, man, that's, that's, uh, that's crazy. But I just want you to think, just in the last chapter, how many times 
Mark has referenced the women. I just want you to think with me. In, in verse 40 of chapter 15, there were also women looking from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph and Salome. So, there's a reference to the women watching, right? You guys with me? Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. That's two. Three, um, Mark 16, uh, verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. What's Mark doing? Why does he mention it three times? Why does he mention it three times? Well, scholars looked over this, and you know what they discovered? They said, you know, that's exactly what guys do when they write a historical account. Why do they reference somebody three times? Because they want you to know who the living witnesses are that saw the event. So when the Gospel of Mark comes out, you're, it's so close to the, to the uh, um, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that all the witnesses are still alive. And so he names them over and over and over again. And if you were writing a legend, if you're just making something up, in that time period, it had been men. Because women were viewed as horrible witnesses. But it wasn't men, it was women. What does that tell me? That's how it happened. Because you wouldn't have made a legend like that. You guys understand what I'm saying? You wouldn't have wrote a legend like that. So it's real. Now, I, there's a lot of things I can do, but I can guarantee you this. There is little things you can know about history that you can know with a greater degree of certainty than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may not like it. You may not want to believe it. You may not want to trust in Him. But you cannot say that history doesn't tell us that it happened. It's historical. And it's not a legend. It's real. It challenges our mind. What are you going to do with it? Paul said, if we don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we don't have anything. We are of all men most to be pitied. But the resurrection did occur. The scripture lays out for us a historical record. Well, let's look. In chapter 16, verse 2, it says, very, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? When they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. For it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man, clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly, fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they didn't say anything to anybody. What? For they were afraid. Yeah, don't that sound about right? No? Sounds about right. Sounds about right. The question is, we, we look at it, we see the witness of the women, we see the, 
the work of Joseph of Arimathea, we see the historical account, and we say to ourselves, you know what, that can't be how it happens. And in our worldview, come on, today, nowadays we know people don't just resurrect. People don't rise from the dead. But the people in, that, in those days, who was it that was getting saved? Oh, 3,000 Jews in the beginning of the day of Pentecost got saved. They were part of the same crowd shouting, crucify him. What was the message? Death, burial, resurrection. Repent and believe. Repent and believe that the message goes out there. Their worldview, a Jewish worldview, they're, they're looking for a resurrection long ways from now. Long ways from now. Nobody dies and is resurrected then. What about the Greek? They didn't believe in resurrection at all. In fact, the only way to really be set free from this life of pain was to die in your spirit, to soar off into the everlasting nothingness. So they didn't even believe in a resurrection. So to have a resurrection story come out of that world, it's a little incredible. Nobody would have made it up. If I was making up the story, that's not how I'd have done it. But today, we struggle with it. Can we allow the truth from 2,000 years ago to challenge our worldview today? The ideas that we have. The ideas that we have. Well, let's look. What happens with the women? They're given a message. Go tell the disciples. And what's the other phrase? And Peter. So, the, the word of challenge for our mind, let's sit on that for a minute. Let's talk about the word of grace for our hearts. Why do you think the angel told him that? Because if he had just said, go tell the disciples, and she went, they went, and they told the disciples, hey, we went to the tomb, and Jesus rose, and, and uh, he said to, for the disciples to go down to Galilee, what would Peter have said? Well, that's for you guys. I'm, I can't be part of that group no more. I denied him. He looked in my eyes. Man, I saw his eyes look into my soul when I denied him for the third time. Yeah, I'm out of this group. So what was the word of grace? Yeah, you go tell Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter. I'm not done with him. That's not over. Look. Long time ago, somebody taught me that failure is not fatal, nor is it final. Failure is not fatal, nor is it final. The word of grace is coming to Peter. Peter is being challenged by the word of grace. And I just want you to think about what happens to Peter. Peter, who has the biggest failure, becomes what? The leader. Who's the guy who preaches the first message? Peter. Who's the first guy to take the gospel to the Gentiles? Peter. Who's the guy God gives all these visions and dreams and arrests and sets him free and does all these wild things through Peter? Peter, who, sitting with the disciples at the time, is thinking he's the biggest loser of them all. I said I could be the man. I said I could be the guy to, to lead this group. I said I could be the one. But the, because he was the biggest screw-up, his repentance was the deepest 
And his grasp of grace was the greatest. So it made him the perfect candidate to lead. Do you get that? Because of his failure, his repentance was the deepest. His sorrow was the deepest. His desire to turn and never be in that place was deep. He went deep. And his grasp of grace, I don't deserve anything, but God, he said, I still want to use you. His grasp of grace was was far greater than all the other disciples would be. Yeah, that makes him perfect. So the word of grace that we get through the through the resurrection is that word that says that salvation comes by grace and not by works. Scripture tells us salvation comes through the weakness of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Salvation is received When you admit you're weak and you admit your inability and you admit you need a Savior. And if that's true, then having that attitude of repentance after failure enhances your ability to do all those things. And here's the great news. We're all just as screwed up as Peter. We all fit in that same category. And God says the same thing to us. I'm not done. I don't give up on you. Don't give up on me. But you know what? We hate to admit failure. Because when we admit failure, well then it feels like I'm dying. feels like death. For some people to be able to say I was wrong, I would... So hard to get those words out. But what is it that that we want to understand? It feels like death. It's okay. It's okay if it feels like death. Because it pushes us deeper into the resurrection. God doesn't need your old life to live. He needs your old life to die. So that He can raise you to new life. To raise us new. That's the resurrection. It's a word of grace to the heart. Let the old man die. Look, I knew my old man and he's just not all that great. By old man, I don't mean my dad. I, if I called him that, I'd get punched dead in the nose. I'm talking about me. I know my old man. The old man's not that great. It's okay that he's gone. Every once in a while when he rears his head, it's just ugly. Let it go. Let him go. Let it, let it go away. Let it go. Needs to go. There's this illustration. You see, when a, when a criminal was put into jail because of a crime, and he fully satisfies the sentence of the crime, what do they do to him? He stayed the whole time. He did all his time. They do what? They let him go, right? Free as a bird? Yeah, free as a bird. Don't you know that's what the resurrection shouts? What's it shout? Paid in full. It 
paid the price. That's why Jesus got out of the grave. It's paid. It's done. He's set free. He's set free. And for you and I, when we're willing to die to that, let that old man go, die to that old man and be raised to the new man, we go just as free. Just as free. Your sin's been paid for or not? The only way to be saved is that Jesus Christ paid for your sin. That's it. If Jesus Christ paid for your sin, then you are that free. It's paid. It's done. It's finished. And we can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because God said, Give me Peter. He needs to lead. He needs to go before me. But then, we also see the message from the angel to the women. Go tell, right? You came and saw. Look at the place. This is where he laid. When they looked there, what would they have seen? Well, remember I told you when they wrapped him, when they put all that stuff on him, that that creates a cocoon. Right? And Jesus is not running around with the, the cocoon still on him. So what's laying on the table? Empty grave cloths. We read about that in the other accounts, right? When they come into there, they see the empty grave cloths. Like a, like a glove, you pull your hand out that still shows the, sh- the shape of your hand. So he says, look, he's not here. You can see. <clears throat> he's not here. Go and tell. And what did they do? Well, they were freaked out. The Bible says they're afraid. And they don't tell anybody I want you to see, sometimes we picture them leaving the, the tomb and they're just leaping and dancing and, and shouting to everybody. And, and reality is they're freaked out and they're a little bit like, what, what, what just happened? And, and, and who, who was the dude in the tomb? And, and uh, are you going to tell anybody? Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to tell anybody. Are you going to tell anybody? I don't know if I'm going to tell anybody. And Mark just leaves us there. That's just how Mark is. He's a guy. Kathy says to me, how was your day? Fine. I have summed up eight hours at least in one word. I don't need to say anything. Why waste the energy on more words? It can't undo the day, so I just say fine. So Mark just leaves us here. And we'll, we'll look at the rest of Mark next week when we come here. But where I want you to go next, as we consider the word of mission, I want you to turn in, your, in the gospel, turn over to John. Because I believe John tells us the very next thing that happens. The very next thing. So I want you to see the women, are, they're tripping. They're, 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 they're kind of freaked out a little bit, right? Now, we, do we know they told people? Yeah, we know. When they get to the disciples, they're going to tell them. Who didn't they tell? The guys on the road and the people walking around. They're just like, oh, let's just get back to the upper room. And when they get back to the upper room, we know, we know they tell the guys there. But what's it say? Look what it says in John chapter 20. Pick it up in verse 11. Because as the women are leaving, okay, I want just picture the women are leaving and, and, and they're afraid, right? They're afraid. Look at John 20 verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. So we got Mary Magdalene, right? Mary Magdalene standing outside. So the other ladies kind of walk off and Mary's still there weeping. She don't quite get it yet. She don't quite get what's going on. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked in the tomb. And now she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, 
where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now one of them had just told her, He's not here. There's where he was. Go and tell. So the ladies leave. But Mary don't. She goes outside the tomb and she's crying and she's freaking out and she looks back in. Now when she looks back in, there's two. <clears throat> and the two guys say what? Why are you crying? We just give you good news. But wh- why are you crying? Why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know it was him. So she's outside the tomb. The other ladies are gone. Right, they're headed back to where the disciples are. Quietly going to where the disciples are. Mary's crying. She looks in. Why are you weeping? I I don't know where Jesus is. I don't know where he's at. Jesus comes up behind her. She turns around and and she thinks he's the gardener, right? Isn't that what the word says? She thinks he's the gardener? Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said a word she was not going to forget. What did he say? Mary. It couldn't tell his voice until she heard him say her, her name. Mary. And immediately she says, Rabboni, which means Master. So she knows exactly who it is now. She knows exactly who it is. And she's like, she said to her, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. What's that mean? She did. So she's sitting there and she falls down on her knees and she's crying. And he says, Mary, and she just grabs him. She's got her arms around his legs. He's not getting away. She's not ever letting go again. She's not going to wonder where he's at ever again. She's got him, and, and that's it. And literally, Jesus is saying, look, I, I'm not ascending yet. It's okay. <clears throat> he says to her, uh, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren. So Jesus gives a little boost to Mary Magdalene. You with me? Go to my brethren and say, I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that they had spoken these things to her. Now you're going to have races happening. You're going to have all kind of things going on around the tomb. But I just want you to see. The women leave. They're quiet. They're going back to the disciples. Very quietly they're going to tell the disciples. We know the disciples don't believe them, right? But as they're telling them, all of a sudden Mary's going to come through the door. Boom! I saw him! Doesn't that change everything? Now all of a sudden, everybody's encouraged. All those who were so afraid at just hearing the word from a, from a stranger in white. Now, now, they're not, now they're not freaked out. Now they start bubbling over. Now the word begins to happen. Now they start to share. What's it going to take for you? What's it going to take for you to share? Because some of us leave the resurrection like the women left in the beginning, right? I don't know. I don't know if I want to talk to anybody about this or I want to say anything to anybody. I don't know. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you have an encounter with Him like, like Mary had, man, it just... She loved Him so much. 
I bet that everywhere that girl went, she talked about Jesus. Everywhere she went. Why? Because she loved him. Because she was forgiven much, wasn't she? We're going to see that in the rest of Mark. She was forgiven much. She loved much. She wanted to be with him. She wanted to be able to share. She wanted to be able to talk. That's the spark that ignites the, the fire. That spark, it, that gets the other women going. You got a few other witnesses, right? You got the people on the road to Emmaus. Jesus pops in and pops out on them. You got John and Peter run down to the tomb. Look at the tomb. The Bible says that John's starting to put all the pieces together. P- Peter's still kind of wondering. And they're all coming back. And that day is kind of full of excitement and all these things. People saying this and people saying that. And the disciples aren't really sure until what happened? Jesus was standing in the middle of the room. Then it all changed. How do I know this all true? You don't make stuff like that up, man. You don't make stuff up like that and then die for it? Are you kidding me? When James, the brother of John, is standing in front of Herod and Herod is saying, Look, you need to say that this is all a big hoax. Jesus is still dead and you guys hit his body. And James is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I saw him. You better tell us you're lying or I'm going to cut your head off. You mean to tell me if you knew it was a lie, you'd say it was a lie? And let that dude cut your head off. Well, we all know people die for something that's a lie they think is true. But nobody dies for a lie they know is a lie. When it's so easy to get out of it. Oh yeah, sorry, I made it all up. No, what happened? Off with the head. What happened to Stephen? Stoned to death. What happened to the rest of the disciples? They're killed all around the world. Doing what? Telling everybody they could get to. It's real. It happened. Just like the Bible says. It's a weird challenge. A challenge for our mind. A word of grace for our heart. And a word of mission. Come and see go and tell it's real and it's not fake it's not some wannabe weird thing it happened it happened and it changed the world it changed time for crying out loud it changed an entire Roman empire radically transformed how? through the gospel it's crazy we look back at the history and we think man look at all that stuff happen all come that don't happen now Come and see, go and tell. That's how they lived. They lived like they knew it's real. And so they told everybody they could see. Let me tell you about Jesus. And what happened? It transformed their families. Transformed their neighborhoods. Transformed their regions, countries, empires. And mankind has never been the same. It's real. It's up to us what we're going to do with it. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just, we thank you that your word is true. Every bit of it. Thank you, Jesus, that you said, 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words that I have spoken, they will endure forever. You don't say that if, unless it's true. And here those words are. Here they are. God, you call us to a life of repentance and belief. To turn away from the old man and receive the new. To die with Christ so that we can live with Christ. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and lives that would transform us. That we don't try to make it complicated. It wasn't complicated for the early disciples, the first 120 who believed. They just talked to their friends. They didn't have to have a big crusade. They just did their thing. Wherever they went, they wanted to talk about Jesus because they believed. They knew it was true. And they wanted to see loved ones, friends, family, neighbors with them in paradise. They wanted to see lives transformed and hearts changed. Just like John was sharing with us. Men whose total course of their life radically changed as a result of the word of God. But before I can tell anybody any of that, it's got to happen to me. It's got to happen to me. I got to surrender. I got to bow the knee. I got to lay down my will. I got to know. I got to say, where is my Jesus? Where have they taken him? I got to hear him say my name. And then I know. God, I just pray that you, you would help us. Help those who are seeking. Help those who are looking. God, that they realize all it takes is a bow of the knee. I'm yours. Lock, stock, and barrel. Not all that much good. But I believe I can die to the old and live to the new through the power of Of the Holy Spirit moving and working in me. I believe what you said when you said that you will make me a new creation. That I'll be created to do good works. To share the good news. That you have a plan and a purpose for my life. That maybe looks a little different than the way I've been living it of late. Oh God I pray your spirit would blow through this place. Drive out the dust within. Cleanse our hearts. Turn our eyes toward you. Even as we have a call to pray, if my people will pray for this nation, before I pray for that nation, I better get my heart right with God. If my people will pray, if they will repent, if they will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God, I pray that be our heart. To allow you to move in our generation in such a way that people say, Man, do you remember those days? Gosh, everybody, I, everywhere I turned, somebody would tell me about Jesus. Every time I, I turned around, I was getting an invitation to church. Or, or someone was reading the Bible to me. Or God, I just pray that you help us engage our culture and transform our world till we see you. That that would be our heart. That we would go and tell. 
God be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.